chapter twenty one of the lady's mile this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the lady's mile by mary elizabeth braddon chapter twenty one sir nugent evershed if cecil had sighed for a life which should be a complete change from the dull round of existence in brunswick square she could not have found anywhere a more perfect realization of her desire than was to be found at pevenshall place here from the ten o'clock breakfast to the abnormally late hour at which the last lingerers in the big drawing-room took their reluctant departure the order of the day was gaiety florence devoted herself to one incessant round of amusement and her visitors seemed nothing loath to follow her example amidst the pleasant frivolities of pevenshall it was almost difficult to remember that there was any portion of this universe in which men must work and women must weep and that reasonable beings were created for any graver purpose than the playing of billiards the acting of charades and the composition of cecil would fain have seen a little more of her old friend and in some manner renewed the confidential intimacy that had existed between them before flo's marriage but mrs lobier gave her visitor no opportunity for confidential conversation she was very affectionate she was full of anxiety for her friend's comfort and enjoyment but she avoided all chances of a tete-a-tete and seemed to have a nervous terror of being questioned about herself perceiving this cecil began to fear that florence lobier's life was not entirely happy in spite of its incessant gaiety you had a pleasant tour i hope florrie she said one day when they were alone for a few minutes oh yes we tore about europe as fast as express trains and post-horses could take us and we spent a few weeks in paris on our way home paris is a nice place for shopping i believe i wasted a small fortune on the boulevards and in the rue de la Paix for mr lobier made quite a wry face when he saw my bills we drove in the bois a great deal and went to a few nice parties and ate a good many expensive dinners and went several times to the opera where mr lobier slept very comfortably and where i amused myself by looking at the diamonds and mentally comparing them with my own i only saw two people whose jewelry was worth mentioning and they were a russian princess and a french actress yes on the whole i think we had a very pleasant tour and now tell me about mr o'boynville are you happy with him yes dear i have every reason to be happy for he is very kind to me and you really like him i really like him very much indeed this was the nearest approach to a confidential conversation that occurred between florence and her friend during the first week of cecil's visit the days passed very quickly the evenings were delightful and it was not often that even the most transient cloud obscured the brightness of mrs lobier's countenance the master pevenshall inflicted very little of his society upon the guests who enjoyed themselves in his mansion there were two or three horsey-looking men and two or three commercial magnates with whom he chiefly consorted his mornings were spent in hunting when the weather was favourable or in lounging about the great quadrangle surrounded by outbuildings and stables examining his horses presiding over a rat-hunt or worrying his dogs when the hounds and huntsmen were fain to be idle his evenings were devoted to the society of his own particular friends in the billiard or smoking-rooms and except at dinner-time he rarely intruded on his wife's circle after observing her friend for some time with affectionate anxiety cecil began to think that perhaps the life which the painter's daughter had chosen for herself was very well suited to her 
why do i wonder about her cecil thought as she saw mrs lobier the gayest and most animated of all the pevenshaw party she possesses everything which most women sigh for from the hour in which they leave the nursery and it would be strange indeed if she were not happy but then came the thought of the future must not the time come when the pleasures of a fine house and agreeable society must pall upon the mistress of pevenshaw four or five years hence when custom had robbed these joys of their bloom and freshness was it not terribly probable that mr lobier's wife would awaken to nobler aspirations only to find that she had awakened too late then how commonplace and monotonous the unvarying round of country-house gaieties the turmoil of london dissipations must seem to the woman who had made it the business of her life to win them she is younger than i am and she does not know how soon one grows tired of these things thought cecil i have sometimes thought when driving up and down by the serpentine with my aunt that the treadmill could scarcely be worse than the lady's smile must be to women who have lived ten or fifteen years in society and have gone through the same routine year after year on the twenty fourth of december a letter came from mr oboyneville announcing his inability to spend christmas at pevenshaw i have made a great effort to come to you but i find my work for hilary term so heavy that i dare not turn my back upon my study you would scarcely like to see my crimson bag in the pevenshaw library and if i came i should be obliged to bring my bag with me so enjoy yourself without me my dear and forget that there is such a person as lawrence o'boyneville in existence he is not jealous at any rate said flo after hearing this part of the letter what a blessing it is to have a husband who is not afflicted with a jealous disposition if mr lobier were to see me flirting with half a dozen people at once i don't think the spectacle would disturb the serenity of his mind you speak as if you wished to make him jealous flo well i don't know about that sometimes perhaps i really do wish to make him something you don't know how provoking those husbands who are not jealous can be if mr lobier only watched me as closely as he watches the money market he would be a perfect othello but you cannot be displeased with him for devoting himself very much to business flo argued cecil for all the luxury and splendour of this house are the fruits of his commercial successes now you are going to lecture me exclaimed florence impatiently while i was engaged to mr lobier everybody seemed to take a delight in abusing him but now i am married to him people preach about him as if he were a saint even papa who was so much against my marriage never writes to me without some little bit of preachment about my duties as a wife i don't set up for being a model wife and if mr lobier is satisfied with me i really can't see what right other people have to interfere after this florence apologized for her impatience and embraced her dearest cecil after her wont and now darling i want you to come and walk on the terrace with me it's a delightful morning more like october than december and we'll leave all those worsted working and piano strumming people in the drawing-room to amuse themselves run and put on your warmest shawl i'll wait for you here this conversation had taken place in the morning-room where cecil had found mrs lobier alone for once in a way an hour after breakfast flo was already dressed for walking in a coquettish black velvet jacket trimmed with chinchilla and a bewitching little hat adorned with a peacock's breast mrs lobier was dressed more carefully than she was wont to attire herself for a walk on the terrace her dark grey poplin dress was looped up on each side revealing a glimpse of a scarlet cloth petticoat a pair of miraculous boots and the faintest scintillation of grey silk stockings her little gauntlet-shaped gloves were the prettiest that ever came from the hands of a glove-maker and fitted to perfection 
her hair was tied in a clustering knot which was the perfection of artistic carelessness and one little bit of turquoise blue ribbon peeped from amidst the gold-coloured tresses i think even papa would confess i had some idea of colour if he saw me to-day said mrs lobier as she mounted a little ottoman and surveyed herself in a venetian mirror framed in the cedar panelling i discovered the value of greys and scarlets from one of his pictures i am sure i don't know why i should have taken pains with my dress this morning but one must amuse oneself somehow or other mrs lobier smothered a little yawn with the fingers of her pearl-grey gloves and went to one of the windows whence there was to be seen a sunlit winter landscape with all the varying beauties of light and shadow playing upon hill and dale and wood and water which made the prospect from the south front of pevenshall place one of the finest views in the north riding cecil joined her friend a few minutes afterwards and the two ladies went out upon the terrace where they met mr lobier who was hurrying towards the steps leading to the carriage drive with a railway rug on his arm you are going away asked flo politely yes i find i must run to manchester this morning i shall be back in time for dinner to-morrow you will travel on christmas day exclaimed flo with a slight elevation of her eyebrows why not on that day as well as any other said mr lobier coolly do you think i am to stop my business because people choose to overeat themselves with beef and pudding on the twenty-fifth of december good-bye flo i've only half an hour for the drive the millionaire brushed his wife's forehead with his bushy moustache and then ran down the steps where an american gig with a high-stepping horse and a miniature tiger were in attendance upon him in this airy equipage mr lobier was borne along the avenue as on the wings of the winter wind and seen from a distance presented an appearance of high-stepping horseman and high wheels without any superfluous encumbrance in the way of vehicle and now let us enjoy ourselves and have some nice talk said flo when she had stood for a few moments watching her vanishing lord and master with eyes which did not even express that spurious kind of interest called curiosity your bonnet is very pretty how do you like my hat after this lively commencement the conversation flagged a little when people deliberately set themselves to talk they are apt to be seized with a kind of mental paralysis which deprives them for the time being of the faculty of intelligent speech the two ladies walked briskly up and down the long stone terrace and a delicate flush deepened in mrs lobier's cheeks and heightened the brilliancy of her eyes the great clock in the quadrangle had struck twelve as mr lobier departed but that gentleman had scarcely been absent ten minutes when florence produced her watch and consulted it as carefully as if she had been one of the manchester men in whose society mr lobier delighted the two ladies walked several times up and down the terrace but in spite of cecil's efforts the conversation still flagged when cecil admired the view mrs lobier owned that it was charming while the magic of novelty lasted one gets used to it flo said indifferently i dare say if people could live on the summit of the matterhorn they would get used to that and think very little of it when first i came here i used to look out of my dressing-room window and admire the prospect while carstairs was dressing my hair and now i take no more notice of the view than if i were living in russell square after this mrs lobier relapsed into silence and perceiving that she was preoccupied cecil abandoned herself to her own meditations though not without some wonderment as to why flo had made such a point of bringing her out on the terrace when she had nothing particular to say to her they had walked for some time in silence when the sound of horses hoofs upon the hard carriage drive made them both look up the pretty pink flush deepened ever so little on mrs lobier's cheeks as a horseman followed by his groom rode rapidly towards the terrace steps 
it is sir nugent evershed said flo now cecil you're going to see one of the best men of the country enormous wealth without the faintest association with a money market and oh how delightful money without the market must be and an interminable line of ancestors though if ancestors didn't generally reveal themselves in high insteps aquiline noses and taper fingers i shouldn't set any particular value upon them all this was said very rapidly very gaily very lightly but lightly as it was said lady cecil wondered a little at the warmth of mrs lobier's complexion and the new brightness in mrs lobier's eyes sir nugent evershed surrendered his horse to the groom at the bottom of the terrace steps and came on foot to greet the ladies he was one of those rare exotics those hothouse flowers in the garden of youth which so long as grace and beauty are worshipped upon the earth will always find tender cherishers even though some drops of subtle poison mingle with the perfume even though a base of clay sustain the torso of the god he was the very pink and pattern of the jeunesse dorée the type of man that has appeared with but little variation of form in every century the alcibiades the essex the saint mars the, the georges villiers the handsome lord harvey the butterfly whose gilded wings excite the indignation of wiser men but who laughs at their wisdom and defies their scorn serene in the enjoyment of his butterfly triumphs sir nugent was fair with blue eyes and pale amber moustache and whiskers the alcibiades of the present day is generally of a fair complexion and our friends on the other side of the channel may talk now of the blonde meesters as well as the blonde mees of the brumers angleterre florence introduced cecil to the elegant young baronet who seemed on very familiar terms with mrs lobier he entreated the ladies to continue their walk and strolled up and down the terrace with them i will go and look for lobier presently he said i suppose i shall find him somewhere about the house or stable as it is scarcely a hunting morning you will not find mr lobier till to-morrow answered flo he has gone to manchester again what an extraordinary attachment he has for manchester i never cared much myself for the cottonopolis it seems to me london without the west end after this sir nugent made himself eminently agreeable the butterfly of the nineteenth century must not be altogether a foolish butterfly for the gentler sex whose suffrages he courts are very far in advance of the belindas and saccharissas of the past sir nugent had been to every place that was worth a gentleman's visiting and seen everything worth seeing and read almost every book worth reading he was a proficient in all gentlemanly sports at nine years of age he had passed as a swimmer at eton and at nineteen had been stroke for in one of the oxford boats he was as much at home deer-stalking and eagle-shooting in the highlands as he was in the west end clubs and his only effeminacy consisted in the whiteness of his hands and the careful taste of his costume the two ladies and the baronet went into the house presently and made their way to the drawing-room where sir nugent was welcomed with universal cordiality he had a cousin staying in the house a fast young lady with out-of-door propensities a young lady who wore clump shoes to her boots defied wet weather and unblushingly consumed a whole grouse at the breakfast-table before the face of mankind a young lady whose mother is a county heiress and whose paternal ancestors have been drawn and quartered in the dark ages may venture to take life after her own fashion sir nugent stayed to luncheon and sir nugent lingered in the great drawing-room all through the winter afternoon in the twilight florence asked her friend for a little mendelssohn and while cecil played the tender music the baronet and mrs lobier stood in a bay-window near the piano talking in hushed voices attuned to the pensive melody there were a good many people in the room but it was a dangerously spacious apartment 
in which conversation was apt to degenerate into tete-a-tete when lamsford brought the party of ladies with sir nugent and two or three other gentlemen amongst them adjourned to the morning-room to take tea and still the baronet lingered assisting in the dispensing of the cups and making himself eminently useful to mrs lobbier thank heaven we are drifting back into the cosy ways of our ancestors he said as he leant against the corner of the mantelpiece near his flo's chair this antiprandial tea is the most delightful invention and if we could only bring ourselves to dispense with the dinner how very agreeable our lives would be do you expect to see mr lobbier this evening he asked florence i think not he talked about coming back to-morrow on christmas day ah well i suppose there is no christmas for millionaires imagine the marquis of westminster eating turkey and calling it christmas he could have turkeys all the year round he might have a dish made of the tongues of a thousand turkeys on his breakfast-table every morning if he liked there can be no such thing as change of season for the millionaire his house is warm from roof to basement with hot air pipes and he has peaches all the year round i should like to have seen lobbio to-day and i have inflicted myself upon you most shamefully in the hope of seeing him i don't believe nugent ever thought himself an infliction in the whole course of his life cried the fast young lady cousin he is the vainest of men and thinks that we ought all to be intensely grateful for having enjoyed the privilege of his society all the girls in the north riding spoil him because he happens to be the most eligible bachelor on hand now that lord launceval has married i remember lord launceval such an elegant young fellow when he was canvassing the conservative interest for chivalry and i really think i wrote poetical squibs against his opponents pray run away nugent it's no use your staying for mrs lobbier can't ask you to dinner in that coat and it is time for us all to dress don't forget to write to jeff's for the comedy we want to play on the sixteenth of january remember you are to be the marquis and we must form a committee for the discussion of the costumes early next week i will write over the day after to-morrow answered sir nugent and i will bring the piece with me he bent over florence to shake hands and say good-bye and there was in that adieu just the faintest suspicion of a something beyond the routine of ordinary acquaintance he shook hands with his cousin and went through a little fernery that opened from the morning-room and led out upon the terrace below which his groom had been pacing up and down for the last half-hour leading the two horses it was a clear moonlight night and miss grace ever shed went to one of the windows to watch her cousin's departure nugent must find our society amazingly delightful or he would never have allowed pyramus to wait half an hour in the cold cried the young lady he is generally so absurdly particular about his horses and pyramus is a recent acquisition i think nugent gave something between four and five hundred for him cecil and florence went up to their rooms together that night and flo followed her friend into the pretty little boudoir where red fire was burning with a frosty brightness you are not sleepy are you cecil no dear not in the least then if you've no objection i'll stop for a few minutes said flo seating herself in one of the pretty chintz cushioned easy chairs and playing with a chinese hand-screen for my own part i never feel so thoroughly awake as at this time of night i think if people sat up for eight-and-forty hours at a stretch they would go on getting brighter and brighter as it is we chop our lives up into such little bits and are seldom either quite awake or quite asleep how do you like sir nugent evershed the question was asked very carelessly and the questioner's eyes were fixed upon the fire i really don't know him well enough either to like or dislike him cecil answered nonsense cecil that's a lawyer's answer women always jump at conclusions and i have no doubt you have jumped at yours in this case you couldn't be half a dozen hours in sir nugent's society without forming some opinion about him well dear i think he is very handsome 
do you said flo lifting her eyebrows and shrugging her shoulders well yes i suppose he is what most people would call handsome but you don't call him so well no i have seen handsomer men but what do you think of him his manners himself in short flo asked rather impatiently i think he is exactly like a great many other young men i have seen good gracious me cried flo this time very impatiently do you mean to tell me that the generality of young men are as elegant and accomplished as sir nugent evershed no i don't mean to say that exactly but i think the generality of young men in the present day are very accomplished they all travel a great deal they all read they cecil if you are going to talk like a blue book or a statistical paper i shall go away i see you don't like sir nugent my dear girl i never said anything of the kind i only say that he seems to me like a great many young men i have seen rather more handsome and rather more accomplished and rather more elegant than the generality of them perhaps but only differing from them in degree is he a great friend of mr lobbier's yes flo answered still looking at the fire they are very intimate are not those pretty tiles cecil she asked suddenly turning her eyes on the encaustic tiles that surrounded the grate i chose the design myself the architect had put a bronze stove into this room and it was to be heated with hot air pipes imagine a boudoir heated with hot air pipes i think when one feels particularly miserable there is nothing so consoling as a cosy fire a soothing influence seems to creep over one as one sits in the twilight looking into red coals and how in goodness name could one sit and stare at pipes i suppose architects never are unhappy this speech seemed to imply that unhappiness was not altogether a stranger to mrs lobbier but cecil did not take any notice of the remark when a young lady chooses to marry as florence crawford had married the wisest course for her friends is to ignore the peculiarities of her lot and to take it for granted that she is happy yes flo said after a pause sir nugent and mr lobbier are very intimate and there is something almost romantic in the circumstances of their friendship they were at eton together they were of the same age and the same class and they lived in the same house but they were the most bitter foes there was quite a corsican vendetta between them sir nugent represented the aristocratic party mr lobbier the commercial faction they were the guelphs and ghibellines of the form of course under these circumstances they were perpetually fighting for it really seems that the chief business of eton boys is to fight and play cricket one day however they had a desperate battle in a place called sixpenny though why sixpenny is more than i can tell you the fight was going against mr lobbier for i believe sir nugent is enormously strong though he looks so slender and the backers were persuading him to take a licking that's the eton term i believe for giving in but he wouldn't give in and while they were wrestling he took a knife from his trousers pocket and stabbed sir nugent in the arm it wasn't much of a stab i believe but the backers informed the masters of the business and there was a tremendous outcry about it and mr lobbier was expelled to school of course he was very young at the time added flo rather nervously and i suppose boys of that age scarcely know that it is wrong to use a knife when the fight is going against them cecil did not answer immediately she had never liked the gentleman whose hospitality she was enjoying and this little episode from the history of his school-days was not calculated to improve her estimate of him and yet sir nugent and mr lobbier are not quite intimate she said presently feeling that she was called upon to say something yes that is the most singular part of the story after that eton fracas they saw nothing of each other for years and years they went to different universities and mr lobbier as you know finished his education on the continent when the pevenshall estate was bought 
mr lobier senior discovered that the country seat of his son's old enemy was within ten miles of the place the country people received mr lobier the elder with open arms but he didn't care for society and as he went out very little he never happened to meet sir nugent and as my husband was very seldom here he never happened to see sir nugent and i suppose the old guelph and ghibelline feeling still existed in a modified degree and might have gone on existing from generation to generation if it had not come to an end like a romance when we were travelling in switzerland in the autumn we went on one mountain expedition to see the sunrise from some particularly romantic and unapproachable peak with rather a large party almost all of whom were strangers to us by some accident i and my guide were separated from mr labier and his guide and as the guide could only speak some vile jargon of his own and couldn't understand any language i tried him with i found myself wandering farther away from my own party on the track of a party of deserters who had started off at a tangent to see some other prospect and to whom the guide imagined i belonged i was very much annoyed at not being able to make myself understood for i was very tired of the snow and the slipperiness and the grand scenery and was unromantically anxious to get back to the hotel which i don't think i ever should have done if one of the deserters had not espied me following wearily in their track and benevolently come to my assistance he was an englishman but he could speak the guide's jargon and he told the stupid creature what i wanted not content with this he insisted on escorting me himself to meet my own party and would not leave me till he had placed me in mr lobier's care i suppose when poor shipwrecked creatures are picked up by a passing vessel they are very likely to think that vessel the queen of ships and i know that i thought my deliverer a most agreeable person of course mr lobier asked to whom he was indebted and so on and the two gentlemen exchanged cards whereupon it appeared that my deliverer was no other than sir nugent evershed after this we met in the public rooms of the hotel sir nugent was delightful did not ignore the eton business but talked of it as a boyish folly and said the old fogies who made a fuss about it had no right to have interfered in the matter and made himself altogether so agreeable that it would have been quite impossible for mr lobier or any one else to reject the olive branch so gracefully offered beyond this we found our prearranged routes were the same it was quite a romantic coincidence sir nugent declared we were fellow-travellers for some weeks climbed mountains together explored cathedrals together inspected picture galleries dined together stopped in the same hotels until mr lobier and sir nugent became like brothers we met again in paris where sir nugent who is very musical was a delightful companion at the opera of course when we came here the intimacy continued and now we have no more frequent visitor than sir nugent and you think that mr lobier really likes him don't i tell you they are like brothers how solemnly you look at me cecil have you any objection to offer to the reconciliation effected through accident and me would you prefer a continuation of the guelph and ghibelline feud no indeed flory nothing can be better than this reconciliation if it is really quite sincere on both sides but i fancy that the law of society sometimes obliges men to appear friendly who never can really be friends boyish quarrels are not very serious affairs perhaps but i should think it was difficult to forget a schoolboy enmity of the kind you have described in plain words flo i would strongly advise you not to encourage any intimacy with sir nugent evershed i may advise you mayn't i dear i'm older than you flory you know everybody in the universe is older than me i think answered the impetuous mrs lobier for everybody seems to think that his or her special business in the world is to give me good advice i think if ever i do anything desperately wicked and am taken prisoner and tried by a jury 
and written about in the newspapers and all that sort of thing i shall get my counsel to plead insanity on the ground that my brain had been softened by the perpetual pressure of good advice now don't be angry with me cecil cried the wilful florence melting after her own particular fashion into sudden penitence i know you are the best and dearest friend i have in the world except papa and i would do anything to please you but as to sir nugent evershed i have nothing to do with his intimacy with my husband he comes here to see mr lobier and i can't order him not to come but these private theatricals flow i suppose you invited sir nugent to take a part in them oh yes that was my doing of course when one has an elegant young man hanging about the house one likes to make use of him but you have so many elegant young men about the house very likely but there is not one of them so clever as sir nugent you see i had set my heart on our doing a comedy of scribes there is such a rage for private theatricals just now and i knew that the only chance of our distinguishing ourselves was by doing something french the whole county will be pervaded by the lady of lyons and still waters run deep but a comedy by scribe in the original will be a little out of the common i know that sir nugent saxon is irreproachable and he is the only man i can trust with the character of the marquis is the marquis a very important character yes he is the leading personage in the piece everything depends upon him is mr lobier to take any part in your comedy oh no he calls all that kind of thing nonsense there are quite enough people in the world ready to make fools of themselves without his assistance he says polite is it not but mr lobier's mind is given up to the money market i think he has made a new commandment for himself thou shalt love the royal exchange with all thy mind and soul and flow oh of course it's very wicked of me to say that but sometimes i feel as if the money market were too much for my brain it is so dreadful to have a husband whose temper is dependent on the state of trade and who is sometimes sulky for a whole day because grey shirtings have been dull however i suppose on the other hand it is a blessing to have a husband who sometimes makes four or five thousand pounds by a single stroke of business i scarcely wonder that such men as mr lobier look down upon art for art is really a paltry business compared to trade in these days when everything is estimated by its money value papa is supposed to be at the top of the tree but he gives a year's labour and thought to a picture for which he gets less than mr lobier can earn in a day by some lucky transaction with america oh cecil how i detest trade and all that appertains to it this was not a very promising remark from the wife of a wealthy trader and it was a remark which cecil thought it safer to leave unnoticed flo's spirits seemed to have left her for the moment under the influence of the money market she gave a prolonged yawn which was half a sigh and then bade her friend good-night cecil sat by the fire for some time that night thinking rather sadly of the brilliant mrs lobier's fate for the present it seemed bright and fair enough but what of the years to come very gloomy forebodings filled cecil's mind as she thought of the unknown future which lay before the careless footsteps of that frivolous young matron End of chapter twenty one